You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience member and artist designed to demystify the classical music and opera experience. If you enjoy the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and really, who wouldn't, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support. Yo, man. Yo. Listen up, man. Yeah, what do you want, man? My neighbours just caught me. You let them catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. Doing what? Going out more than once, you know? Man, I don't know what to do. Say it wasn't you. All right. It's one of the more unusual introductions for a thoroughly good classical music podcast. Yes, unorthodox. Yes, the music doesn't necessarily meet the promise of the title, but this musical excursion, a lockdown creation covering a track by, look, I can't really believe I'm going to utter his name, by Shaggy, is a piece of history for me. It is, as I recall now, the first notable distraction that reflected back the experience of lockdown life, in this case documented by a familiar classical music personality. Baritone, and it turns out all-round good egg, Roderick Williams and his family, were contributing to the Eurovirus Song Contest, a lockdown response to the non-staging of the 2020 Eurovision Song Contest. The resulting video they made was compelling, captivating, and had added dad dancing. It called upon the talents of all members of the Williams household, contained some uncomfortable yet hugely entertaining sequences from Williams himself and somehow sent up what seemed then some of the more ludicrous aspects of isolated life. Remember the run on toilet rolls, the snitching by neighbours, the anticipated hours of boredom. It all seems like a world away now. Roderick Williams and I conversed not only about that, but also about his latest collaboration with pianist Susie Allen, a recording of two English song cycles by Sir Arthur Somerville, Maud and A Shropshire Lad. Both of us don't necessarily share the same view on Somerville's settings, which is what makes any conversation about classical music interesting and makes the subject of our debate something worthy of further exploration. But then I don't know much about Somerville either, Until I heard about this recording, I knew nothing. The composer was born in 1863, died two years before the start of the Second World War, and set Houseman's poetry portraying a young man contemplating nature ten years before the First World War. Somerville's music is the familiar kind of musical palette used in a score you've probably never heard before. A mildly unsettling experience as you try and place exactly where you think you've heard it. It's that which makes it a delightful new discovery, like finding a forgotten Christmas gift that six months later remains still unopened. The album was released by Som Records and it yields an enormous amount of pleasure. You will, however, have to wait until the tail end of this podcast to hear about Somerville and the CD, because before that, well, there's that video to talk about first. How can you keep a 
cool and keep your social distance. Smile and wave and try to have a peaceful coexistence. You better watch your back before they give you your resistance. Review the situation and I'll give you references to be a true player. There is an odd thing about, uh, I don't know whether you're aware of this, maybe you are, but there is an odd thing about you and your family because it feels as though everybody in the classical music world who didn't know you before now knows all of your family and your <laughs> predilection for dress up because <laughs> you did that that was possibly and it seems a very weird way to talk about this but that was possibly one of the first things that I remember seeing and feeling incredibly uplifted by at a point in time when I was thinking I don't I, don't, I just don't understand what's going on <laughs> um uh, what how did you come to do were you I mean it gave the impression that you were all sat around the table bored and you just came up with this idea is that is that why is it, that how it, it happened the first the first Eurovirus entry that we took part in was <laughs> indeed a, a needs must um uh, it was very, very quickly done. Um, so you're aware of the Eurovirus. You're aware of what it was for, are you? That, that, uh, no, I just assumed that you just did it just because you're all incredibly creative individuals and you had to do it. But you're going to tell me that there was another motivation for it. There was another motivation. Oh. They, they, these are uh, uh, friends and acquaintances of ours with the uh, basically from our point of view through the Indelian Festival, which is yet another summer festival that has been cancelled. So um, our uh, yearly trip to Cornwall is, is off the books now. Um, so... Uh, they realised that Eurovision was going to be uh, one of the casualties earlier on, and they decided to hold a Eurovirus um, competition amongst their friends. Oh. And a lot of the circle of their friends are people who go to the Endelian Festival, and, and we're a, a very, very extended family, quite a team. So they issued this challenge. Um, you pick a country and you represent an Eurovirus. It doesn't have to be European. So we represented Jamaica in the first um, Eurovirus. <laughs> right, and okay. And as you can imagine in that situation, so early in lockdown, just as you see, when people are bewildered and confused, um, my children were spread out over the British Isles. My eldest um, is living in Edinburgh. Uh, second one down was in Swansea, where she's just finishing at university. My uh, youngest was at Leeds. And just at the, the moment when the government announced, um, and if you remember, it was quite a, quite, quite a rapid decision. We were all thinking, will they, won't they? Suddenly it happened and we had to get all three of them back home as quickly as possible. Um, and it was at that point that my middle daughter said, you, we, we've got to enter Eurovirus. The, 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 the um, deadline is, the, is at the weekend. Um, and we hadn't even picked a song or anything. She came up with the idea of representing Jamaica with something about, from Snoop Dogg. Um, and <laughs> I, can't I wrote the how lyrics. weird it is to hear you just say Snoop Dogg. S Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Mr. I think Mr. Snoop Dogg to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or can okay, I could just yeah. call you Snoop? Uh, so, so we, um, we put this... Uh, 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 thing together. I, I wrote the lyrics in the morning. Um, my daughter arrived from Swansea um, four o'clock that afternoon and we filmed before the light failed and then I spent the evening editing it and that that very much was that and, and it was it was a, a lot of fun because you know in these sort of things when you've got a family with different dynamics some people are thinking oh really do I have to be in this and oh this is such yeah, a no, waste that of time. That did come you across. Know, <laughs> yes. you know, there's something on television can we not just you know and and others of us are, are dead keen and getting it. But actually, once the dressing up basket was opened, people really began to commit and um, and off we went. And we had an absolute great time doing it. And, and the, whole, the whole of the Eurovirus competition, which was an extraordinary achievement of, of Facebook live streaming put together by these, um, these friends of ours. They live up in the, in the Chester direction. They put the whole thing together. It was a terrific evening and we all had fun. And, and we, we said, you know what? Well, it was there. He said, we should do this thing again. By that time, it was 
clear that we we're all going to be in lockdown for a considerable amount of time. Uh, so she said, let, they said, let's do it again. And a month later, we all got ourselves together. And that's how, I don't know if you've seen the Cornish entry, but that's how we came to represent the People's Independent Republic of Cornwall. Right. I mean, did they have any choice in that? Or did you just sort of self-proclaim that you were the representatives? I mean, was there because in Eurovision terms, there is some kind of choosing, even if it's on the part of the broadcaster. Well, at least, yes, exactly. There's some kind of choosing in that people from the country normally represent the country. But uh, the, the joke here, of course, is that people, uh, um, uh, out in the wider community uh, were representing countries to which some of them had never been <laughs> and uh, and I'm some of the countries were, were counties like um, I think Suffolk was represented oh, in, really? the, in the second Eurovirus <laughs> uh, uh, and I think Brooklyn I can't quite remember but we had all sorts of weird and wonderful entries um, uh, and it was it was of course a huge amount of fun and actually the second round I think it's fair to say that the level of um, entry was on it was far far higher. People have put an, an awful lot of thought into it. It was totally hilarious from beginning to end, and um, we had a lot of fun making our um, Cornish entry. And uh, it, it's just a challenge to see what you can do within your own house and garden with the um, with, with the materials you've got around you and as you've noticed already the dressing up box of your choice yes i'm 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 impressed that you have a dressing up box um <laughs> I, I don't know anybody else who has retained a dressing up or indeed has a dressing up box but i could be wrong maybe i'm just revealing well, too much about myself really it's, it's one of those it's one of those uh, family essentials over um years of children's parties and and you know they they dress up to begin with as tinkerbell um, either gender, and uh, it just you know snowballs from there. You get a little bit of um, uh, uh, can we fix it? Obviously, can that's a bit of Bob the Builder. You know, you get all sorts of things. I picked up a Superman costume from from some extraordinary job I did a, a long time ago, and so over the years we've we've picked these things up. And, and I should say that um, I have a particular thing for Halloween. I love um, oh, doing God, uh, really? special presents for Halloween, and and and. And I can hear you say that, and, I, and actually, that was the position I came from, in that I got so sick and tired of people knocking on the door yes. at Halloween and going trick or treat, <laughs> and just expecting you to give them sweets. I decided to scare the living daylights out of them. Right. Um, so they needed to earn their sweets, and as you can imagine, over the past decade or two, this has escalated, and um, people, if people are um, brave enough to come into my house for a dib dab or a sherbet fountain, then, um, you know, good on them. Because uh, because we give them a fight of our life, which is why we happen to have a gorilla costume, for example. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just resort to sarcasm. Yes. General yeah. meanness. Uh, but then I live in South East London, you know. So yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. don't think a gorilla costume would cut it. I think you've just got to, you know, it's words and it's delivery and that's it and slam yeah. the front door. Uh, yeah, but, I think I think rural living is a slightly different expectation out here, but uh, but yeah. uh, but sarcasm I think would be cheaper in the long run. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I I'm glad that we covered that because it does feel, like I say, it does feel as though as a result of seeing that, I feel as though I know you. I don't at all. <laughs> the only other time that I have, um, the other recollection that I have rather is of a song recording release that you and Susie did. In oh, I don't know some venue south of the river in London, and I thought it was oh, last yes. year. It might have been the year before, but it was an incredibly charming affair, and it was the first time that I'd seen both of you play or, or perform together. 
but I have no recollection of what that release was for, what what that event was for. Yeah, that was that was at the warehouse in Seed Street, I think, um, around the back end of Waterloo, and and um, that was to promote a new disc that she had done, she and I had done of English art song. Um, it was celebrating English song, I think, is the, the the name of the CD on the Som label, um, which is one of those one of those fantastic independent labels that are still producing classical music. Um, you know, the the days of the of the big boys in this market, you know, it's, it's completely changed, completely different now. So uh, musicians like myself who are in such a niche end of music, classical music and classical singing song music, you know, it's it's a niche within a niche. Um, and we would we had this um, CD of a, pretty much of a recital we'd given at the the back end of a, of a English song festival that was just closing down, we gave the last performance of the whole festival, and someone said, "Oh, you should record that." And we said, "You know what? Why? Yeah, why don't we? We we did record it, and that was the launch of it." To again, a very enthusiastic um, specialist audience, by which of course I mean small. Um, but, but but the wonderful thing about um, this this modern world, as I said, as I described, the the, the big boys of the recording industry um, seeing their market change radically. Actually, the internet and has enabled smaller independent producers to find their target audience globally and and be able to uh, uh, deliver um, whatever it is directly to them. So those people who really enjoy English song for example, um, and they know who they are. Um, we're in, t- we're in, in touch with them directly. Reaching out to them by saying <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's you, Mrs Pendlebury. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, the, what strikes me about the song recordings, and I don't, know, I don't know whether this is a general thing, maybe you can help me with it, but whenever I hear them, there is a sort of a, a liveness to them, an ambience to them that, that gives me uh, an undeniable sense of place. That's not a sort of indirect criticism for other labels, but but I wonder whether that's like a is that a guiding principle for some? I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say for me as well. Um, um, I'm sure each label has its own identity, a sort of sonic identity in its way. And and maybe I'm not clever enough, I haven't got maybe the oral palette to be able to pick that out um, so well. But I do know that the, uh, that the lovely man, uh, Paul Arden Taylor, who does the recordings for them, he um, uh, places his mic in a particular way. And that must be his identity i don't know if he does all i don't suppose he does all of um uh siva oak she she runs some the some label Paul suppose... arden taylor is arden he an taylor, yeah. as well yes it's exactly right yes. that's him yes yes okay and, and uh, i see him on the circuit he's he's from the midlands as well he's um Worcester, worcestershire i think he's in that, that direction somewhere i think is where so he's i know from. sorry sorry to cut him but i know paul arden taylor because uh at the beginning of my career i did stage management for the english symphony orchestra Ah, right, and he yes. played in the ESO with William Bounton, and yes. I and I recall going to recording sessions with ESO and Bounton, and Paul was there. I don't know who, I think he played principal. Uh, yeah. and we went to Nimbus, and yes. the thing yes. that I recall about Nimbus recordings was that, that that got people really excited at the time was that they they recorded with one microphone in the yes. middle of the space, uh, and. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, that's why I'm asking you because I I I pick I feel as though I pick up on that kind of stuff. 
Yes, well, you, you, well, you've hit it, it the nail on the head because, of course, that's what Paul does with um, our um, voice and piano recordings. We've we've just had one released in the last week or so. Um, I think it was last weekend or the week weekend before. It was um, the uh, some song cycles by Arthur Somerville, who was the first English composer to set any of A. E. Hausman's a, a Shropshire Lad, um, and uh, we did that. Uh, now, I can't remember exactly where we did it. Maybe Potton Hall down in, in, in Suffolk itself. But once again, uh, single... No, it wasn't. It was the Yehudi Benjamin School. It's just popped into my head now. Um, and uh, Paul put up a single microphone for the whole experience. Um, I, I And I guess he says that's how people listen, you know, through, yeah. <laughs> through one set of ears and then it goes into their head in the middle. Um, uh, but that is his sort of trademark sound. And, and Susie and I have recorded for Siva in various different places. I've recorded for Siva with other pianists as well. And uh, it's generally speaking Paul who who has been present on those occasions. And um, maybe that is a signature of, of them. Does that right, change anything for you both as performers? I mean, I don't know because I haven't really recorded anything. So I, I, apart from these kind of things, uh, and I know that I sort of, depend on a microphone uh, which is a slightly weird thing yeah. to say uh, but I wonder whether does anything change when you know that you have more microphones around you or when there's only one I don't think so I don't think I'm conscious of that and uh, I th I think like, like, I, th I think I I'm too much in the room to be thinking of the microphone even when I'm recording I'm aware of what it can pick up but I'm also aware that um, Siva as producer or indeed any of the producers I've worked with are on the cans in a different room and hearing a complete uh, hearing without seeing and therefore their experience of what I'm doing is entirely different to what I think is coming out of my mouth and I have to I've learned to I have to trust them completely and you know even as I as I chat to you now uh, with the microphone here I'm not really looking at it I'm staring out the window at my lovely garden and and, and I'm chatting to you um in my ear uh, I'm chatting to you as though you were right here um so you think yourself very lucky that I'm not <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate lockdown <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly could be a whole lot worse <laughs> um does that mean that so I'm making an assumption here, but that sort of makes me think that if you're doing a live performance, if you're singing in front of an audience, then then you are, it is you in front of the audience. But in a recording session, it's it's not so much you. It's almost like you're devolving responsibility. I don't I don't know whether I'm 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 right about that. But if if you're if you're having to trust somebody else who is hearing without seeing, then is there an element of devolving responsibility? It's, uh, to a certain extent, I mean, I think um, for me, uh, recording feels more like rehearsing in that um, in a rehearsal, it's just me and the pianist in the room. And that there's a huge amount of fun about such a thing because you don't have the pressure of performance. You don't have people looking at you and there's there's not a feeling of having to get it right and, and, and perfect as you can, uh, you know, the first time. Um, uh, so... From that point of view, I suspect the sooner I can forget about the microphone, the better. And then I can have the same fun that I have when I'm rehearsing. Uh, and and it, it, it's coming to my mind because um, you may have uh, uh, read or heard that the Wigmore Hall are about to start 
um, live performances in London from June. Yes. They're going to team up with the B and and do lunchtime recitals. And um, we'll be on stage. The performers will be on stage. And the there will be a BBC producer, presumably in the hall somewhere, snoring loudly, I hope, um, and nodding off. Or, or maybe <laughs> what are you on saying a, on about their... BBC producers? Surely they're always no, alert. The, the, they're so professional. They don't. They just smile at us and say, and "Give us a thumbs up when it's time to go," and, and then they know that we'll just get on with it from there. No, of course they're all, they're, they're wonderful. They'll be glued to every note, I'm sure. But um, what's what is completely different? I mean, that feels to me in my mind's eye that feels like a rehearsal. It doesn't feel like a show because there's nobody in the audience, mm, and I will mm. enjoy that dynamic. I really love performing. In, no, sorry, let me take that back. I love rehearsing on the Wigmore Hall stage in particular of all, because there's a, the hall is a very particular acoustic when it's empty. And um, it, the sort of sweaty palm feeling you get when you come through the door to take the stage when there's an audience in, you don't get that when you are rehearsing. So You're you really selling of, you know, it. You're really selling no, live performance. Yeah. Well, live performance, it, it, it's such a different thing and it has its own set of... Um, uh, uh, sort of parameters I can't think of a better word it's um if you if you were able to see if there was a camera and a big screen for the audience to see what the performers are going through just before they come through the stage door on any stage it would be um quite a revelation because often people come through that door and immediately they are a million dollars and they're standing tall their heads back they're smiling away they look confident everything Behind the stage door, they may be a complete bag of nerves. And and it's at that moment that you might ask them, you know, why are you doing this? Yes, you look as yes. if you're about to throw up. Why <laughs> do you want me to go and get your doctor? You know, it's a, but but they all go through the door. They all go through the stage door. They all it go is a on brutal, stage. It, it. it is a brutal way to come on stage, at least yeah. at least when you come on stage at the Festival Hall or the Barbican or 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 actually the Royal Albert Hall, even though that's not the greatest of venues, um, at least there is some kind of transition phase, you know, if you're walking in from the wings. But there, it's, the door is open, you're on stage, get on with it. Shazam. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> that. you know, I hadn't really considered that. And it's not, it's not like there's loads of space backstage either. Um, no, you, no. You, you could accidentally be going to the toilet. You yes, know, Or exactly. thinking that you're going to the toilet. Yes. Like, oh, and the door opens and uh, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> wrong um, door sorry everybody it's wrong door sorry <laughs> so are you are you looking are you, you are participating in those broadcasts yes yes i'm doing uh, i'm doing a, a, a single lunchtime recital right in the middle i think june the 12th i think off the top of my head it's um uh, uh i'm doing a program called woman's hour in which i get to sing a lot of songs that are much more associated with female singers um, for better or for worse, but uh, it's something that's been weighing, it's been on my mind a lot recently. So I'd, I'd like to give it a go. And are you and, looking and forward to that, or is he, that he, uh, do, does that come with a sort of a um, uh, an emotional tussle? You know, that idea that the audience isn't there and it's just you. No, I'm looking forward to it greatly. For one thing, it'll give me the chance um, to make music with another person uh -huh. um, in the same room, which I I. I interpreting the rules as best I can. I don't think I've been allowed to do that up until uh, this this week now. I don't think I was allowed to. I, as it no. was, I managed to sneak in a performance with someone last week 
because she happens to be a wonderful pianist who lives a mile and a half away from me. And I stood outside her house and she had her uh, French windows open. And she played the piano from, win from within the house and I sang outside. And I'd walked there, so it was... Did I, you I, I warn her that you were going to do that, or did you just... I thought it was only fair. Yes, I thought it was... <laughs> right, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, just imagine yeah. somebody going, oh, God, he's here again. Right. Yes, yes, who's that man? Who's yeah. that? <laughs> Should we call the police? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I did think, because, of course, there was no audience to it, we couldn't have been um, accused of uh, stopping, uh, of having people stop and gather. So it was just really for us, I think we were both um, missing making music with someone else so much um, that uh, it, it, something like this that that just stretched the rules a little um, we we thought was um, was was worth trying and um, now the rules are slightly different then it, it means that I can rehearse with pianists again given that it's only two of us and also that we are not standing uh, side by side it, you can you it, it, it's so different now. It, when you sit and watch a movie or watch something on TV from before COVID-19 and you see people hugging and kissing and mm, meeting mm. in restaurants, there's a part that flinches. Yes. And I think that's really sad that it's come to that, but I recognise it in myself. So you can imagine um, taking the stage and doing the concert and at the end giving your pianist a hug. And everybody going, oh, yes, oh yeah, they touched, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely, uh, it's the same with I've seen uh, I've seen streams from the Berlin Phil, you know, from the yes, Berlin yes. Philharmonie, and and actually seeing a quartet uh, with a presenter sat in the middle of an empty auditorium yeah. suddenly suddenly projects the auditorium as a character in itself, as a member yes. of the audience in itself, and it's and it's almost painful to yes. see to see. An, a space devoid of its audience, uh, as yeah. though as though um, uh, that that physical space is a person in itself. I'm yeah. essentially personifying a physical space, which is a bit weird, and I should probably get help for that. But no, 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 but you, but I'm going to I'm going to have to do that um, in June. Otherwise, it'll be so much of a rehearsal that they may not have the feeling of performance about it at all, and of course. Um, you are quite right. The audience, or in this case, lack of it, aren't make a huge difference to the way we perform, um, and, and and to our our mental state when we're performing, because it's just different to rehearsal. Um, and of course, it's it's really uh, uh, the moment of truth is at the end, and we come to the final bar, and we stop, and we look up. For the expecting uh, the expectancy, uh, expectancy of applause, and in the Wigmore there will be total silence, or maybe slightly worse. That one poor BBC produ producer sitting in the middle of the call clapping by his or yeah, herself. Yeah, no, that, that, that mean... mustn't happen. That mustn't happen because <laughs> that will sound slow really awful. Up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Next, I'm, am I right in thinking that you're doing the? Uh, the singing with the pianist through the French doors again. You're doing that for the London Mozart players, aren't you? Yeah, that what we did was uh, we captured on various um, devices, and the London Mozart players are going to mix it together and put it out at the end of this month as a special um, uh, uh, performance. What they have been doing, the the LMP have been doing um, so far, is live streaming live performances from from people's living rooms. Um, 
uh, evening concerts, and, and that's a wonderful thing because it keeps the it, it, the fact that it's live is is hugely important as well, and it happening in the moment, and people can share that knowing that they're in touch with someone from their flat in Catford or Lewisham or you know anywhere in, in you know in, Catford, in don't you? Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have picked out Catford unless you knew Catford. Well, it's just popped into my mind for no particular reason, but uh, really, well, that's yeah, where yeah, I live. Yeah. Oh, is that so? Well, yeah. there you are. You see? So, so for a moment there, you freaked me out. Sorry, <laughs> do carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you open your front door, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you're here. <laughs> there is, uh, it's safe in sunny Warwickshire at the minute, so it's uh, not, right. not so bad. But, but uh, um, uh, this will be a, a slightly different event because you will see from the lighting that it's taking place in the middle of the day. And you'll see that uh, my good friend Lynn Arnold, who's the pianist in the, in the village next door, she lives right on the end of her village of Butler's Marston. And therefore her piano room, the doors open onto a garden, which opens onto a onto an, a hugely empty ploughed field. Um, and it's an irresistible backdrop for the sort of English song repertoire that we've chosen for this occasion. It was it was utterly glorious to stand and sing there in the sunshine. It was, um, yeah. On, glorious on all levels. I do. Uh, I write articles for a radio station about classical music, and I write blog posts and record podcasts. And it feels as though, in this six to eight week period, as though there's a lot more noise about classical music uh, mm. because a live performance has been stopped. Uh, yes, I'm wondering whether whether what I'm actually responding to is that the story, the narrative has necessarily had to change for classical music and, and its performers and, and, and whether, whether maybe contrary to what I think instinctively, we're not really reaching beyond the classical music bubble, even though we are making more noise. I wonder whether you think classical music is getting more attention. Well, I, or whether that's just a, whether that's just sort of a, a misleading perception that I'm holding. Mm -hmm. No, I think I think I think you're you're right to a certain extent in that obviously we live in a, a, a classical musicians live in us in a fixed bubble. So if you speak to someone randomly, you know, they ask what you do and you say you're in the music business, they will naturally assume the the, the, the pop world, and that's that's absolutely fine. That's the way of it. Um, but in this uh, in this situation, we find ourselves now when people talk about the easing of lockdown for example on the the national news and they talk about certain sections of of industry generally speaking of you know the the economy put it that they talk about uh, relaxing the economy they tend to talk about in uh, manufacturing first of all and then uh, uh, you know they're very very keen for people to get back into the factories and to get back making things all right so they're very keen about that and then they start talking a little bit about certain key industries like the aviation industry which is has a very particular problem um that they're trying to uh, surmount you know the, or the tourist industry or you know all these things that have a very specific problem associated with um uh, lockdown then they might mention um the entertainment industry, because they mentioned uh, hoteliers, uh, restaurants and pubs, very specific. And when they talk about the entertainment industry, at that point, they really mean um, pop and possibly theatres. Theatres are mentioned, but uh, pop festivals, outdoor ones like Reading and Glastonbury, things like that. And and in terms of the national story, that's where it stops. Mm. The, the idea about um, people going to the theatre 
is a sort of encompassing thing that's probably meant to include classical music. But classical music is in such a specific position because of the whole idea of uh, of a large number of people, anything over 10, making live music without, um, you know, amplification, for which you have to be indoors. And, and you cannot do, you cannot do a, a Mahler symphony or, you know, an opera or something like that. You cannot do it in, um, in any way with um, social distancing. That's just, you know, the, the whole, I was reading something in the, in the paper just yesterday of the idea of placing string players 1.5 metres apart and wind players 2 metres apart. But that means that the orchestra is so spaced out that um, the back desk of the violins cannot hear the percussion. I mean, just yes. it is obviously not going to work. So, so I think um, I, I don't think that that calculation has been made in the public consciousness at all, outside of those people who who uh, are desperate for classical music. Um, for their their fix of classical music, the general story I think is um, is is missing, and uh, th that uh, uh, statistic I heard or I read yesterday that um, twenty percent of of classical musicians are seriously considering giving up classical music to do something else um, because they don't see any prospects. They don't see they don't see it coming back. This year, I don't think I'm going to no. sing in front of a live audience this year, frankly. No, I, I find it difficult to believe that that can, uh, funnily enough, not necessarily because of the auditorium, but because of the related spaces. You know, it may well yes. be assuming that that a venue is able to sustain a cut-down series of concerts, even though they're not getting anywhere near the ticket revenue uh, yeah, because, yeah. Of yes. social, uh, because of physical distancing. Yes. The... the Biggest challenge, frankly, is going to be managing the front of house spaces and <laughs> yes, bars. Exactly. And, and, you know, yes, and yes. what and who is who exactly is responsible for someone contracting or catching COVID nineteen oh, coronavirus when they're when they're in Wigmore Hall? Does that yes. does that mean that I would then go back to the Wigmore Hall and go, why did you why did you allow me to come to the hall? Yeah, it's just yes. it's uh, I can't I can't see it happening, and that's that's terribly. As an audience member, I find that terribly saddening. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Um, uh, it's also it's, let, let's face it that um, um, for all the time I've been singing in in, in uh, classical music, uh, particularly um, song recitals, I'm aware that the people who who come along to them, the people who have the time to come along to them, are generally speaking the older population, yes. the retired, yeah. the people who, who who think right now I've finished work, now I've got children off my hands, now I can relax, I can go to concerts more freely. That's that's obvious. That's how it works, but they are exactly the people who are most at risk um, from this particular um, strain. Mm. So uh, that makes it very difficult. It's going to be a long time before they feel comfortable enough to risk it, to risk going to something live, no matter how much they want to hear it. So I look at my notebook and I'm reminded that we're meant to be talking about the new release. <laughs> we haven't really. <laughs> um, so, or to just mention some things that have come to mind listening to the three preview uh, tracks. Uh, that I was sent, um, and I think I'm right in saying, I know this will seem slightly frivolous, but when I hear every time I've heard the opening of I Hate the Dreadful Hollow, yes. I think of uh, I Will Survive. God, 
that opening yeah. chord, the opening chord in yes. I Hate the Dreadful Hollow, when I hear that spread across the keyboard, I think, oh, we're going to hear, first I was alive, I've, I've, no, what was yes. I can't remember the lyrics now. Uh, I was petrified. Yes, 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 yes that's, yes. that's yes. what I expect to hear. And then I hear you start singing and think, oh, no, it's something different. Um, well, it, it, yeah, only only yeah. briefly because actually the words would have um, the, the words would have fitted briefly, um, the sentiment <laughs> would have fitted briefly until yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, tell me about. I have. I was completely unaware of Sir Arthur Somerville. Tell me about him. Well, I I know him really through the Shropshire Lad settings, which are also on that disc, and I sang them for for the first time ooh, 10, 15 years ago or something uh, something like that, um, and uh, so. Funnily enough, Susie Allen on the on the, uh, on the piano, she had been um, kind of mentioning Maud as a cycle from time to time, a drip drip of, of of suggestion to me, because she had actually recorded it before with the baritone Henry Wickham, whom I knew uh, from my university days, um, and uh, so they did a, a recording a long time ago, which I managed to find and listen to, which is a, a great part of my own preparation of this. I didn't know some of it particularly well at all, um, and and what I glean from his uh, settings of the Shropshire Lad is that um, he seems to come from a, a particular age of British music, which is particularly um, um, uh, head-on. Uh, he he doesn't, for my money, he doesn't seem to have read any subtext into A.E. Hausman's words, which is absolutely fair enough. He's gone for the direct appeal of the... Uh, there's kind of the immediate simplicity of Hausman's poetry there and painted that in his music. So when it comes to Maud as well, um, when I just read the poems by themselves and sang them, they they seemed beautifully easy to sing. They're really lyrical. They're really fun to sing. Gorgeous lyrical lines. When I read the poems separately, I realised how uh, how damaged the this 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 guy is. He's a kind of a, like a a Heathcliff character, wandering the moors, um, muttering to himself and his own tortured world. And he is. I, I think the the easiest way to sum him up, if he wouldn't mind, is to describe him as a basket case. I think that would um, that would probably be right. Okay. And and so therefore, um, you know, composers of a different century, a different sensibility, and with with different um, notions of what mental health means, would probably um, zero in on that aspect of him and and give you tortured music and and you know anguish and despair. Uh, and 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 grit, but that's not what some of us after because I think some of us are aware that's that that's a twentieth century. Sorry to interrupt you. Twenty first century, that, yeah, that, exactly. That, yeah, that mm-hmm. is a twenty first century sort of preoccupation. That sort yes. of need to we must reflect this authentically and yes. uh, and honestly and warts and all. Yes, uh, possibly yes. in order to shock. Yes, absolutely. I think I think you're quite right, and. Um, therefore, I found myself with a real, um, a real problem with these songs, which is whether to give in to Somerville and just sing them beautifully without um, really, without really engaging too uh, deeply with the text, or whether to try and layer some sort of twenty-first century um, post uh, uh, um, Jungian uh, issue, sort of. Um, um, 
conversation on top of them and you know it, it's and um in the end actually i have done a little bit of that well hopefully not departing too far from somerville's what i suspect was somerville's intent I don't hear sentimentality in his music. I don't sort of hear um, mawkish. Uh, mawkish isn't the right word. I don't hear that sort of uh, clawing uh, sentimentality that, you know, when I hear you describe it, when I hear the music then, I don't hear that sentimentality. I, I still well, hear that, something that is, quite... Uh, I still hear something quite... Um, there is a hard edge to it. There, there, there is a hint of, uh, and there's no, uh, I'm, I'm burbling now, but there's no sense of sentimentality like you get from some music by Vaughan Williams. There is, there is a, there is an edge to it. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, well, that, that of course is quite, uh, that's subjective, and and I feel I might possibly, I might find a way to disagree with you on that great slightly <laughs> but only only in that i've been doing the, the vaughan williams songs of travel a lot recently not least i'm um, standing in the field just last week and uh stevenson's words there again with a 21st century spin on them um uh, you know one's modern take on what it is to be homeless might be different from stevenson's idea of the noble vagabond you know there's a you can put a, a tiny bit more of a of a socialist gritty edge on Stevenson's words now, and actually I think there's a certain ruggedness to Vaughan Williams's music. I'm just up as an example that that I can really grab. I don't think there is so much ruggedness in Somerville's setting, certainly from what I experience of Maud. He seems to have been if, as I'm suspecting, he's taken the Schumann song cycles like Dichterliebe as his model, it feels to me like he's gone for the lyricism of Schumann's piano and melodic writing rather than um, Schumann's sort of kind of um, extraordinary inhabiting of the inner world of Heine, uh, taking Heine's irony mixed with Schumann's um, kind of slightly fragile state of mind and you get these amazing... um, um, settings in Dichtelieber, and I'm, I'm happy to be working at the moment on the Opus 24 Liederkreis. So there's, you know, they're these wonderfully open-ended um, 
songs in that that just feel fragile. I don't feel so fragile in in Somerville. I think he's 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 he's, he's got a very stiff upper lip. Um, you know, get on with it. You know, just... <laughs> which which is appealing. I all can't in my itself, mother. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the Vaughan Williams was songs of songs of travel. Songs of travel. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. I must. I must. I like that. I like the sound of the word rugged. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. So I must make a make a point of uh, uh, checking them out. Is there? I feel as though we've covered everything. I can't. I can't be sure about that. So therefore, uh, the the question remains: Is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you, Mister Williams, well, sir? Well, John, I've been I've been rambling. This, this is it because I, I I I forgot whether you were going to press record at any point. So I was just chatting, you know, about price of fish anything there so the idea that we've covered anything at all is is a, is, is, is a bit of a bonus bless you i'm um, about to start recording now oh very good <laughs> yeah. then we'll get on with the interview yeah, then we'll, we'll actually get... start it yes question one. Oh, bless You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. If you enjoy it, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support.